Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is a graduate of the Creative Writing Program at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. She has attended residencies at the Breadloaf Writers Conference and the Tin House Writers Workshop. She has taught creative writing and literature through the Emerging Voices program at PEN America Los Angeles, at Writing Workshops Los Angeles, and at academic institutions in Los Angeles and Boston. Her writing has been published in the Los Angeles Review of Books, Huffington Post, The Rumpus, The Writer, and many more. She currently lives and teaches in Los Angeles. Her debut novel, Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm, is out now. I'm, of course, talking about Laura Worrell. Hey, Laura, how are you doing today? I'm really great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. How are oh, you? I'm doing extremely well. I have been looking forward to your book for such a long time. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm. And I'm so glad to talk to you now. Um, I always like to start with, what is the book about from your perspective? I, I like to cut through the media copy, the publicity copy. What is your book about? Thank you for doing that. I love that idea. Um, So the way that I look at it is this is a book about women. This is a really common story uh, that we've seen in literature. We've seen in films. We see in music, right? We have a playboy character. He's a womanizer. He's a Don Juan Casanova, right? And very often when we hear stories about these types of men, The story focuses on the man, his journey, perhaps his journey toward redemption or change, maybe not, but very often we don't focus on the women. The women are sort of catalysts to his uh, transformation uh, and don't necessarily have stories of their own. So this flips that script. So we do have this central character who is a jazz musician. He's very charismatic. He's very sexy. He has a lot of women in his life, but the focus is on those women. In the first chapter, he learns that the woman who uh, he kind of digs the most is pregnant, and he tries to escape that responsibility by reconnecting with the other women in his life. And... uh, So each chapter is told from a different woman's perspective as he sort of comes in and out of their lives. Mm -hmm. So what we get is their individual stories, right? Their perspective on that kind of relationship, how that relationship impacts them and their sort of individual stories as they're um, watching him come and go. So we do have that, you know, larger arc of him uh, dealing with these new circumstances, what's he going to do about uh, this woman who's who's pregnant? Um, but then we also have all of the individual stories of the women who are going to hopefully, in the course of the book, figure out what they're going to do about him. Mm-hmm. What part of this book came first? Was it the women, the men, something else entirely? How did this book become what it is? So... Basically, the women came first. Um, I was writing uh, a story, actually, about this character, Circus Palmer. He was always Circus Palmer right from the beginning. Um, And one of the women who who does show up in the book, actually closer to the end of the book. And at that point, I was just kind of writing a story. Maybe it would go further than that. And at the same time, I was actually consuming a piece of art that was about a character who, you know, is noncommittal. 
And I had this sort of light bulb go off because I thought, as I said, I've seen this book before, mm-hmm. right? I, I love it. I'm really enjoying it. But I know the story. I'm familiar with the story. What I don't know is the story of what these women are going through. And so it, it sort of originated from this, this moment, right? I'm writing a story anyway about this kind of relationship. And then I'm reading something that's, you know, taking us through a journey and not focusing as much on the women. And so that's where the idea came. So, um, yeah, that's that's where it originated. Yeah. Did all these women's voices come naturally or was it because it's a it's a it's a good cast of women um, or was it <clears throat> difficult to really figure out who each of them were? I wish that I remember because, you know, people have asked me and I have reread the book and sometimes I find myself saying, how did I do this? <laughs> um, and, you know, part of it is. Part of it is playing with types, right? Mm-hmm. Circus, the the male character, is a type, right? A womanizing jazz musician. We've seen that before. In fact, it's kind of a trope, a musician who has a lot of women in his life. We've seen that. What I also wanted to do is look at those types of women that we've seen mm-hmm. in stories like this. So, for example, there's a character who's a very sexy bartender. She doesn't necessarily you know, have a lot of ambition, right? We often see that kind of character. In fact, she came to me because I was watching a television show and that type of woman was referred to as a bimbo, someone that you don't take seriously, Mm -hmm. someone that is disposable. And so I wanted to retrieve that woman from that narrative and actually demonstrate her humanity, right? And no matter what she's projecting and no matter what you are seeing in her, especially if it's just you're seeing her as a sex object, that doesn't necessarily, that will not necessarily, that mean, that does not mean that she deserves to be mistreated or cast aside or disrespected. So that was one um, woman that came to me basically through, again, looking for what kind of types do we of women, right, do we see in these stories? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we flesh out those characters? There's a woman, his ex-wife, actually, who is still carrying a torch. Um, she's not uh, a very independent spirit, right? She might be what a lot of people would consider needy and clingy. But she's still a human being. She's still interesting right there's something in her that's really compelling to explore and there's a reason right that she is attached right or attaches in this way and i wanted to explore it right so to kind of pull apart a lot of the tropes that we see about women in lots of stories about their relationships with men right but you know uh sort of pull back the lens so we're not just, you know, assigning them types, but we're actually looking at the depths and the intricacies and complexities of those characters and their needs and desires. One thing I I loved, and, and you really touched upon this, was giving these women voices and then and they become their own uh, thing, their own entity. They're not just circuses lovers or women they they are mm-hmm. themselves was there a lot of playing with when 
their stories like unfolded in the book I'm always obsessed with structure like did yeah you, did, was it easy to figure out okay I'm gonna share this character this character or was there a lot of like uh cut and paste I guess in the editing process for telling the story that's a great question and yes there was a lot of cutting and pasting mm-hmm. um it's been such a long journey with this book that sometimes I get lost in what the process was and how I put it together. Not, and I don't say that to sort of create any unnecessary mystery around my process, but really it was such a project that I sometimes um, have trouble remembering how it all came together. Mm -hmm. But I do know that, or I do remember, you know, for example, there's a chapter um, uh, from the perspective of a woman named Angela and she kept moving around, right? Sometimes she was in the beginning of the book. Sometimes it worked to have her story at the end. And part of the reason I think is because at least for her story, um, in the beginning of the process of writing the book, she wasn't necessarily, you know, shifting the overall plot in dramatic ways so she could move around a lot. But then eventually I, I tightened her role right Mm -hmm. in that overall plot. And then it made sense. She needs to be right here. She needs to be right here at this part in circus's journey, Mm -hmm. but she also needs to be right here in this part of the women's journeys, because in a lot of ways, even though I think we're, we're, even though we are um, having, or we're, we're, we're observing these women, different, these women's different experiences with him. I kind of think is the plot arc is this sort of all of them together. They're mm-hmm. all sort of evolving and transforming and moving forward in similar directions. And so Angela, for example, needed to be right here because her interaction with with Circus, what she realizes, her transformation needed to come at that moment in the book. Mm-hmm. So um, for sure, there was a lot of cutting uh, and pasting, but then there, as you know, several drafts. I mean, I lost count totally of the number of drafts that I went through with this book. There were, there were other women in the book that had to be cut. So that meant some rearranging, Mm -hmm. but there did come a time where it started to fall into place. And so when new characters or new chapters came in, it made total sense where they went, because as I said, that sort of larger arc of the women moving as a unit toward their conclusions um started really uh coming together for me you referenced a few times how you know how many drafts there were how Mm -hmm. long of a project this was what was the the length of from conception to when you turned it in um so it started as i said as a a short story um and i started that in 2013 uh remember it was uh winter like january-ish um 2013 and so for a couple of years i worked on it and at that point it really didn't have as much of the larger arc you know what i mean it Mm -hmm. was it was kind of vignettes um and then interestingly coco who i think in a lot of ways his daughter who in a lot of ways turns out to be one of the main characters and in some ways arguably the book is is hers Mm -hmm. um a lot of people sort of believe that or or told me that after they've read it she came in a little bit later and once that happened the sort of 
inner circle of Circus's life, his his wife, ex-wife Pia, Maggie, the woman who's pregnant, Coco, his daughter, they sort of created more of a of a you know um uh, nucleus for the for for the plot and the story as it as it moved forward. So it took me, you know, all told it took me, I started it in 2013. I started the agent search in 2018. Mm-hmm. But there were there was a year or two where I was um, planning to move out to Los Angeles where I am now. And so I was working my tail off as a professor, taking way too many classes. So there were, you know, years where it was kind of on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then once the agent search started, it took a very long time. And there were lots of revisions during that process too. So I would say it was about five years if you mm-hmm. just look at a calendar, but there, but I would it was probably about three years of writing and, and revision, including mm-hmm. the revisions that I did once I started looking for agents and getting feedback. Mm-hmm. I read an interview on the millions where you said 50 queries or about there, um, which I feel a, a <clears throat> lot of writers who are just starting out think they're going to get the first agent or the 12th agent. Um, I, I'd love to just hear because like you're, you're very well spoken. I think you could speak to this very well. What did it feel like when you weren't getting picked up by agents. I mean, what does that feel like for a writer? So I will be very honest about this because I wish during my journey, mm-hmm. people were honest about it. So I would have felt better. The two years that I was looking for an agent were some of the worst years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exaggerating. And part of the reason is because I have been doing this like a lot of writers, I've been writing since I was a little kid. Um, my mother has a bunch of a box full of all the things that I wrote as a little kid. I wrote all through grammar school and high school and college. I majored in college or in writing in college. I got an MFA. I owe tens of thousands of dollars. I've done, you know, I've gone to the residencies. I've gone to, I've done everything that we're told you were supposed to do to get a book into the world. And it took decades for me to finally do it. And when I was finished with with this book, I thought I have written a really great book. Maybe those other books, this was the fifth book that I have written, right? And again, I say that so that somebody out there mm-hmm. goes, oh, okay, I've written five books. There's still hope for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, I got to the point where I, I had so much faith in this book. I loved it. I was proud of it. I thought it could resonate, right, with readers. And so I didn't want to give up on it. And it was a somewhat horrific experience looking for an agent because there was so much rejection, Mm -hmm. because there was, um, you know, things that are supposed to fall into place once you've done your homework, right? Once you've paid your dues, we're not falling into place. It was terribly confusing. It was demoralizing. It was psychologically debilitating. It really was terrible. Mm -hmm. And I say that not to scare anybody, but to, again, demonstrate that, you know, I don't want to be Pollyannish about it, but for some of us, you really have to work hard. Mm -hmm. You really have to go through it. And, um, on the other side is is potentially, you know, 
seeing your book in, in the world. Mm-hmm. I too have friends who are like, oh yeah, I've sent, I've sent the book to five agents, 10 agents that got rejected. So I think I'm going to put it on a shelf. I was like, mm-hmm. this is, that's just the beginning. You're just yeah. starting for, for a lot of writers. I have a lot of writer friends, most of them who, yeah. you know, I have one friend, uh, she's a great writer. And uh, I think she had uh, 98, 99 rejections yeah. before she got her agent and her book is, is in the world. So yeah. um, I wouldn't wish my journey on my worst enemy, but uh, I also feel like for some of us, it takes that much work and yeah. you got to do it. If you want, if you want, you got to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that journey. I feel, I just saw on Twitter last night and I won't get into details, but someone was saying how they kind of went to a smaller, I don't want to call it a vanity press, but a, you know, small press that right. kind of like toyed with them and it wasn't through an agent and it was, right. and like there, you know, yes, this, this industry is built on certain relationships. Agents mm-hmm. are a thing, you know, it's right. Um, anyway, but I feel these stories, the more that they're shared and, and the more we're transparent with things is super important because um, there's these younger, not younger, these uh, writers with their first books or whatever, who think I'm just going to print it myself, which you can do. That's totally mm-hmm. fine. But like mm-hmm. just persistence pays off a lot of times. And right. your book, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no. And that's, that's what I was going to say is that I, you know, when people when people have asked me about it so far in this, you know, mm-hmm. effort to get the book into the world and, and, you know, the book's coming out next month. So I'm sure I'm going to continue to be asked mm-hmm. and I want to talk about it, not because it's fun to, to say I was in pain for two years, but because I needed somebody to share this kind of story because there are lots of writers, right? Really amazing. I mean, Marlon James, his experience with some of his books, it was the same deal, I think, for some of them. Um, Paul Beatty, whose book I really loved, The Sellout, mm-hmm. um, same deal. I mean, I don't think with agents, but that there were there were lots of rejections before mm-hmm. those books were put into the world. And um, both of those authors were honest about that or transparent about that. And I think it's really helpful because, you know, for a lot of us, it is going to take longer. It's going to be harder. And mm-hmm. when that isn't, you know, presented to us, you know, we think we're doing something wrong or it's not going to happen because it's hard where, whereas for the most part, it's going to, it's going to be challenging, but it, mm-hmm. you, you can get there. And then after, you know, the worst years of your life with all these rejections, it's demoralizing. It eventually is in the six-way auction, which mm-hmm. is not unheard of, but it doesn't happen right. to every writer. Right. So on the flip side, what are you thinking while this whole process happens? You find an agent, everything's kind of falling into place all of a sudden. Six publishers want yeah. your book. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still having problems like realizing that this is this is real you mm-hmm. know because mm-hmm. it it was such a long time of it not happening and then once it started happening once i found my agent who was amazing um everything just has been falling into place and i am deeply humbled and i am deeply grateful um i live in la so i can say thank you for the abundance you know whatever <laughs> but i genuinely deeply am so grateful 
Um, and so when the auction was happening, um, I asked my agent, what should I do? And he said, just get, you know, into your, cause it was all, this was all during COVID. So mm. I was, you know, stuck at home. Uh, he said, you know, get into your most comfortable pajamas and make some tea and you'll have a book deal by the end of the day. And it was wonderfully bizarre, mm-hmm. you know, to just be sitting there going, I can't, this it's actually happening. This is really happening. And then I got the deal with Pantheon and I, Lisa Lucas and my editor, Deb Garrison are so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as, I mean, I kind of knew off the bat that this was going to be the relationship for this, for me, for this book. And it's, it's really just been, I, I don't have words for it. I mean, yeah. it's, it has been a long journey yeah. and it has ended in a way that is, was beyond what I imagined. And um, yes, I'm grateful. I'm thrilled. I'm a little nervous, right? It's, yeah. it's a little nerve wracking to, to, you know, um, have the spotlight so bright mm-hmm. right now, especially when you didn't think it was going to happen. You get, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I got to the point where I was like, this might not happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, it's absolutely thrilling. And, yeah. you know, I'm so grateful to everyone who sees something in this book and, and the work that's being put behind it um, yeah. by my team. I'm just honored. Yeah, I I first saw your book in a tweet that Lisa Lucas put out because I think like many of us we we knew her from National Book Foundation. She becomes you know she's with Pantheon, and you're the first mm-hmm. pickup. You're the first book, <clears throat> right? And I was like, and 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 I, I I don't put a lot of stock in like, oh okay, this is the first book under Lisa Lucas, like, but n- normally, but I was like, mm-hmm. it's Lisa Lucas, like, right. like I'm right. gonna bug whoever's this publicist until <laughs> I get this book, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. I, I I mean, just the juxtaposition from what you felt agent queering to now. Is right. just, even watching you speak about it, it's yeah. just like, I just I'm love happy. it. I love this. Nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny because, I mean, yeah, Lisa's reputation precedes mm-hmm. her. But, um, and I was so, so excited just to know that she was going to read it. And so when you know, when she wanted to make an offer, I was absolutely thrilled. And what's been funny is, and I don't mind at all, but half the time when people express their excitement for me, they're like, so, and you get to work with Lisa, what's Lisa like, you know? So I think that's part of the package that um, is, that makes this such an amazing moment. And, you know, I, even if I wasn't working with her, I mean, I admire her Mm -hmm. so greatly. And, working with her has been uh amazing. I mean yeah. she's she's absolutely brilliant. She's a a supernova. She's a superstar. I saw her speak uh, on a panel with Roxane Gay here at the, in the Los Angeles mm-hmm. at the Los Angeles Festival of Books and I was just like I can't how <laughs> I know her. Yeah. I get to work with her. I mean she's she's wonderful and she's doing such great work at Pantheon. She's such an advocate for great books and authors. And yeah. I'm really honored to be working with her. I think once people read your book, they'll realize like you're a supernova. Like I think well, right now, like, people, like oh, your book's thanks. not out yet. They're not yeah. sure. But I think yeah. like, I, I, 
um, yeah, anyway, I'll, I can well, gush you. about that's it all nice. the time. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll wrap up because I know you're a busy person. With I'm excited for people to read your book, but what have you been excited to read recently or upcoming? So right now, um, I'm reading um, Steve Allman's book, All the mm -hmm. Secrets of the World. And I've always been a fan of Steve. I knew him in Boston, and he has been, during my entire uh, experience living in Boston, he has always been really wonderfully supportive of, of me and sort of offered lots of advice when moments were challenging. I'm going to be in conversation with him in Boston. So I'm reading his book and, and I can't put it down. Um, also, If I Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery mm -hmm. uh, is coming out um, in, a, in a couple of weeks. And I... yeah, it'll be out by the time this podcast is out. Oh, so, okay, great. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I really can't wait um, mm -hmm. to read that. And then um, I have on my uh, bedside table, I want to read, um, oh, I have to pause mm -hmm. so I can look it up because I did want to mention it. Hold on just a second. No worries. I will edit that out. Okay. I always, yeah. I want to read uh, Neruda on the Park by Clavis uh, Natera. I've been really excited about the book. It's been out for a little bit. Um, and so I want to, uh, mm -hmm. I really would like to read that. I just saw her um, in town. She came through and it made me even more excited about the book. So that is, that's next. Thank you so much to Laura for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about her debut novel, Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LK Warwell. That's L-K-W-A-R-R-E-L-L. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and at daybeautiful on all social media. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs>